I'm worn. My prayers are wearing thin. I'm worn even before the day begins. I'm worn, I've lost my will to fight. I'm worn, so heaven come and flood my eyes. Maybe this morning, you are worn. Maybe a month ago, you were worn, and you're kind of going uphill at this point. Maybe you're right at the beginning of it, and you're heading down into the valley, but you're worn. You are going through something in your life that is unjust, it is unfair, it's not right. You have been trying to do what is right, but the response is not a good thing. In fact, as you've tried to do what is right, you've actually been attacked. As you've tried to act justly, injustice has been done against you. And you're worn. Did you know that Jesus knew that we would be worn? That this morning, he has a message for us For those of us who right now presently are worn, for those of us who have been in a battle for a while and we're just wearing down, for those of us that maybe we know the battle's coming, he knows it too. And the passage this morning is because Jesus knows that while he in his ministry inaugurated the kingdom of God, the fullness of that kingdom is still to come. And we live right in the middle. And he is speaking to us this morning right in the middle. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there are times when we are warned where we have tried to do the right thing. And it wasn't perfect, and we had our own mess-ups, but we tried to do the right thing, and it was turned on us. There are times where we are just struggling to even pray, Lord. Would you speak to us this morning that we might stand strong as we wait for the culmination of your kingdom, And right here and right now, we live kingdom-first lives. Lord, by your Spirit, speak to us this morning. In Christ's holy name, amen. Would you please open up your Bible to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus has a message for us this morning. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. What do you do when you are worn? And he told them a parable to the effect 
that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That is his message. And there's a reason that he's giving it. There's a reason that he has to say that you are to always pray and not lose heart. And it is because we can lose heart and stop praying. It is because we get worn. It is because we find ourselves right here in between Jesus coming and him returning and making all things right. It is because this point here can be hard. And so he says to us, he's telling this parable very specifically so that we would always pray and not lose heart, not give up, not get so burdened and weary by the fact that when you pray, does God always answer right away? No. No. Like the worn part of our life, just because we come to God and we say, God, this is hard, how often is it that God just goes, okay, it's all taken care of now. All things are good once again. That is not my normal experience. Anyone have that as your normal experience? God, just take it all away and it's gone. No, it keeps going. And right here, Jesus knows that. And he says, I'm telling you this parable because I want you to always pray and not give up. In Acts chapter 4, go back after the service sometime and read it. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching the gospel. They are doing exactly what they are called to do. They are moving in the Spirit, and they are preaching the truth. And you know what happens to them for doing that? They're arrested. How unjust is that? How unfair is that? They're being arrested for doing what is right. And then they are threatened and told not to do this anymore or something worse is going to happen. And you know what? Something worse will happen later on. But do you know what they do? They pray. And their prayer is this. Lord, we know that you are in charge of all things. Will you allow us to remain bold to proclaim the truth and to work in our lives? And they pray that. That is our prayer. Jesus says, pray and don't give up. In other words, every day. Multiple times a day. Even when you feel, and maybe you never have this experience, but I have, even when you feel dumb doing it. I've now come to the Lord for the 15th time asking for the same thing. I'm starting to feel like this is ridiculous. God already knows it. Not only that, he's not doing anything. This is stupid. I'm giving up. Jesus says, don't give up. Keep going, keep praying, keep asking that same thing every day without losing heart. That's what we're told to do. Why? 
Why would you ever do that? Because I don't know about you. I'm in the midst of being worn, and now you want me to do something that is kind of a pain and hard and ridiculous, and I feel dumb doing it. Even that takes a certain amount of endurance just to keep doing it. I've got too many things going on in my life. I don't have time for this. I've tried it a number of times. It didn't work. But you want me to keep going? Yes. And not me. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to keep going. And not give up. Why? Here is why. Go back into Luke. The reason he tells the parable is to give the why. Here is why I want you to always pray and not give up. And it doesn't have to be 10-minute prayers. It just has to be consistent, regular, all the time. Keep going. Here's why. Number one, because there is injustice in the world. There is injustice in our lives that God at times is silent to. Look at the parable. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This is a dangerous dude. This is a man with power who gets to decide cases between people. He has the authority to say, you are wrong, you are right, this is what the ruling is. And he has no inward accountability. Notice the description of him. He does not fear God. Therefore, there is nothing sitting inside of him going, all right, well, this person is actually right, that person is wrong. Even though I want to give it to the wrong person, I fear God, so I'm going to give it to the right person. He doesn't have that. And number two, he does not respect man. He does not care if he walks out of the courtroom making a bad decision and everybody goes, you're awful. He doesn't care. This is a dangerous man because there is no inward accountability. He can make whatever decision he fancies at that moment. In verse 3, and there was a widow. She's exactly the opposite. She has no power. None. She lives off of what others will do for her. If something is wrong in her life, she cannot make anything happen about it. She's at the mercy of the courts or the people or the religious leaders. She is powerless. There's a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. That word adversary in Greek means the person bringing the case against her. She's the defendant. Somebody has accused her of something. And what we will find as we keep reading is it is an unjust accusation. What is being brought against her is unjust. And she has no recourse but to come to this guy who has no inward accountability, and so he can rule against her just because he feels like it. Have you ever felt like injustice was being perpetrated against you and you could do nothing about it? That's where she's at. 
She has no recourse but to come to this man. And here's this man who has no reason to rule in her favor unless he feels like it, and he really doesn't feel like it. There is injustice in the world. There's injustice in your life. There's injustice in mine. There's injustice in our culture. There's injustice around the world. And God is not intervening in all of it right now. There is injustice, I would argue, when people get things like cancer, especially these people that are trying to serve the Lord. They're doing what Peter and John were doing. They're giving their lives over to God, and yet they get cancer. Why does that happen? And why isn't God just healing it like that? We are filled with injustice in our lives and in our world where God is not always doing anything about it. The very fact that he's letting it happen. I'm gonna introduce you briefly to a man named Elijah Lovejoy. He was born in 1802. He was born to a Christian family. His dad was a pastor. His mom was a very devout believer. He, on the other hand, religion was, eh, you know, he could do without it or with it. I mean, it was there, but it just wasn't something that really captured his imagination, his heart, his mind, his spirit. And so he would go on and he would go to college and eventually he would end up buying a portion of the St. Louis Times and he'd become an editor and a writer of the newspaper until a revivalist came into St. Louis. And David Nelson was preaching a revival and it just captured Elijah's heart. And at that point, everything that his parents had raised him with, all that background just came up and he wanted to serve the Lord. And so he sold his share of the St. Louis Times. He went to seminary and he came back and he founded a church and some Christmas Christian businessmen wanted him to start a paper. But in this paper, he would write about moral and religious things. And it was going really well until there was a Sunday school teacher who decided she wanted to educate slaves. And she began to invite slaves into her Sunday school class. The paper that Elijah once owned part of, they printed an article calling for a mob to do something about this, that slaves should not be in these Sunday school classes. And it affected him so much that he began to write against slavery. And it would start small where he was basically saying, even if you keep them in chains, they have souls. They need to be taught the truth. And it would escalate. And he would become this voice against slavery, using the newspaper to write against it. Well, as you can imagine, in the 1830s, that was a very unpopular view. He would have four of his printing presses destroyed by mobs. And the fourth one, he would be holed up in, in, a, in a warehouse where his printing press was, 
There were other people working with him in this warehouse. They would be surrounded by a mob. He would be shot five times and killed that night. His printing press destroyed and thrown into the river. And do you know what happened to the men who perpetrated the mob? They went on trial for murder. There was not a single conviction. The leader of the jury was a leader in an anti-slavery movement, I mean, a slavery movement, an anti-Elijah Lovejoy movement was leading the jury. Not a single conviction. There was a man who put his life on the line to do what was right according to scripture. He was killed for it and not a single conviction was given. There is injustice in this world, and you should not expect to be immune from it. You should not expect that because you're doing the right thing in the Lord, you will not experience injustice. You will not experience things where you're going, God, why? And why won't you do something? There is injustice that God seems silent to. However, this is number two, the reason we are to always pray and to not give up is because God's silence can be broken by the persistent prayers of his people. And that's not me. That's Jesus. And I'm not giving you a kind of claim it, grab it kind of, you know, as long as you believe it enough, God's going to go do it. I'm not doing anything like that. But I am telling you that the word of God, according to Jesus, says the silence of God in injustice can be broken by the persistent prayers of his people. Go into it with me. Verse four. And while he refused, we don't know how many times, but he refused while he refused, but afterwards said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, though God's not going to punish me, and though I don't care what any of you think about me, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I don't care about the justice or injustice I don't care about her case. I don't care if her lawyer makes a great argument. None of that matters to me. Here's what matters. She just won't give up. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? She just keeps coming, and I'm done with it. Fine, I'll give you justice. And then look what Jesus does with this. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Redemption Church, Jesus says to us, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God, okay, the unrighteous judge, we just got another description of him, the unrighteous judge is neither righteous, just, or compassionate, and yet our Heavenly Father is all of those things. That's his argument. If the unjust judge will do this, And will not God give justice to his elect 
who cry to him day and night. There's that endurance. There's that continual always praying. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. His argument is this. The woman could convince the unjust judge to give justice just because she endured, because she kept going and kept going and kept going. Do you not think that God will respond? How many of you recognize that endurance quite often in many different areas of life pays off? If you keep going at something, it will pay off eventually. I mean, we know that is just generally part of life. Did you know that Henry Ford went broke five times before the Ford company was actually successful? Do you know that R.H. Macy failed seven businesses before Macy's actually succeeded? Did you know that Walt Disney was fired from his first job as a newspaper writer? And this was the reason. Because he lacked imagination and didn't have good ideas. I'm pretty sure that that person was then fired later on. But we know that when you stick with something long enough, there's fruit that comes from it. That is just naturally part of life. And Jesus says, so it is with our God. When the people of God are persistent with God, God listens. You may be like I was at one point. When I thought of NASCAR, I thought of sleeping. I thought, yes, they know how to make left turns. But other than that, it's kind of like going, whoom. Boom, and that was it. However, unlike golf, I've gained a new appreciation for NASCAR. Now, based on the message, you know what to do if you're a golfer. You can just pray for justice against me over and over again, and eventually God will listen. However, here's what I've learned about NASCAR. These guys dress in fire-resistant uniform, wear a helmet, sit inside of a car without doors that gets to over 100 degrees for up to four hours at a time. And this is what your experience would be like if you were in Indianapolis driving on that track in one of these cars as a racer. As you head into the first turn, you are traveling at 225 miles an hour. That is three times what some of you do on the toll road, only two of what some of you do. (laughs) 225 miles an hour. And as you are coming into this turn, you move up as close as you dare to get to the wall so that as you come into the turn, you will turn the steering wheels 22 degrees to go into that turn And the G-forces against you will go to 2.25. 
That is more than twice the weight of the driver pushing against them. And you have to even just to keep your head up while you're wearing this helmet. As you go into the turn and hit the apex, the G-forces rise to three Gs. And as you come out, it will escalate up to 3.2. It's like having a sumo wrestler crushing you in your car while you're traveling 225 miles an hour. And those turns, that's about an eight-second effect on you. But here's the thing. You do that 800 times. What kind of athlete does it take to do that? Now, the Indianapolis 500 is coming up in May. The Daytona 500 just happened. And the winner of the Daytona 500 was Kyle Busch. And he had every reason to give up. Every reason. He crashed his car in the race. He lost his mirror. And, just hear this. In 200 laps... And by the way, it's not 500 laps. Like, everybody makes fun of this. It's not 500 laps. It's a 2.5-mile track. If they did 500 laps, they'd be there all day. He only led for one lap. Number 200. It's the only time he led. Now, I just want you to imagine. Boom! 200 times, you crash, you lose your rear view mirror, you can't even see what's coming up behind you, you're never in the lead, and by the way, you've lost 16 times before this. And yet, you persevere to the last lap, and you win it. Can I tell you that the widow came to the judge 26 times before he actually listened? What if she had only come 25 yeah, that's not in scripture, but I think that's what happened. <laughs> Here is the message of Jesus. Pray until God responds. Don't go to lap number 199, because at 200, he hands you the trophy. Pray and don't lose heart all the way through until God responds. Why did we do it? Because there is injustice. And because God is silent about some of that injustice. However, according to Jesus, the silence of God can be broken by the prayers of the people of God when they continually bring it before him. And yet at the very end, Jesus does this. He just escalates it. And here's a third reason because this is bigger than whatever individual injustice is going on against you. When we give up, when we do not continue to come to him, it affects our faith. Not just that moment, but our faith. Because this is a much bigger picture. This trust of God is something that he's calling us to all the time. And when we give up, there is something happening in us where we're not just giving up on that moment. We're saying, in effect, God, I don't really believe you're going to do anything. I don't really believe you care. And we're giving up. And look at the last thing he asks. 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What? That's a really big question. Like, I thought we were talking just about the fact that the guy at work treated me unjustly, and I'm kind of mad about it, and it's hurting my career. No, no, this is bigger than that. You see, the passage before this, he's talking about the return of the Son of God to earth, knowing that there's this gap between now and when he's going to come back. He gives this parable to say, I know the gaps there. I know that every person in this room, even though you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer injustice. I know that. But I want you to pray and hold on all the way to the end so that when the Son of Man gets back and he asks the question, is there faith on the earth still? You see, he flips it. The question is not, will God remain silent? It's, will you go silent, church? This is not, will God not care? It's, will we not care? Or will we continue to seek our God day after day after day, knowing that our God cares? Our God is a compassionate and just God who cares about what you are going through and knows that what you are going to is connected to a bigger picture of injustice throughout the world and throughout time. And we are called to pray about all of it. We are called to just keep seeking our God so that when our Lord returns, we are still seeking him. We are called to pray always, every day, and not lose heart. Pray with determination and trust that God will move, and to pray until he does. Because of the injustice, because we know God responds, and because our faith and our prayers and our seeking of him are bigger than just the individual incident. And can I tell you something? You have no idea what God may do through your prayers and your endurance, through you remaining faithful to him, even when things are really, really hard. You have no idea the amazing things God may do. Elijah Lovejoy died in November of 1837. In January of 1838, three months after his death, a young lawyer had moved to Springfield, Springfield, Illinois, and he gave a speech. This speech was given to the movers and shakers of St. Louis, or Springfield, and as he gave this speech, he refers in the speech, it's all about mob rule and about the dangers of mob rule and the aggression and the way that it tears down society and the way that especially racism contributes to it. And he says in his speech, he talks about the printing presses being destroyed and the editor being shot. And he doesn't refer to Lovejoy by name, but there is absolutely no doubt that that is who he meant because... 20 years later, 1857, he will write a letter to his friend, James Lehman, and he will say in the letter, 
this right here. 20 years later, Lovejoy's tragic death for freedom in every sense marked his sad ending. And it is sad. That's the injustice that this guy would do this and not even get, nobody convicted for it. Marked his sad ending as the most important single event that ever happened in the world. The madness and pitiless determination with which the mob steadily pursued Lovejoy to his doom marks it as one of the most unreasoning and unreasonable in all time except that which doomed our Savior. This man would be elected president of the United States four years later, Abraham Lincoln, and then issue the Emancipation Proclamation. Lovejoy, did he see justice in his time? No. Not even in, not even in the trial he didn't see justice. But can I tell you something about Lovejoy? He didn't care. If he cared about his own life and his own justice, He'd have given up on like the second or third printing press that was destroyed. What he cared about was slavery ending because it was against God and against these people. And his life and endurance and example and prayers impacted the man who would issue the Emancipation Proclamation. Church, stand strong in injustice, in your actions and in your prayers. Trust that God wants justice more than you do. And that your prayers are not only part of what you're going through, but they are part of the world and the culture and even the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end. Pray always without giving up. Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on us. That in all of our sin and our rebellion and our turning from you, in your great love, you came for us. You lived and died and rose again that we might have eternal life. Lord Jesus, stir in us this spirit of endurance, perseverance, that we might continue to seek the Lord and not give up, knowing that our God is compassionate and cares about justice. And Lord, make us just people who live for you. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.